Today on the Matt Walsh Show, gay activists campaigned against a Christian field hospital that was treating coronavirus patients in New York. They apparently succeeded in having the hospital shut down early. Uh, we'll talk about the incredible arrogance and pettiness and bigotry and narrow-mindedness of left-wing gay activists, which of course is everything they accuse their opponents of being, but they are the ones who exemplify it. Also, five headlines, including a video of uh, NYPD officers making a violent social distancing arrest. And finally, many musical artists have released um, coronavirus-themed songs in the last month, as, as we might expect. So today we're going to listen to some of those songs, and uh, we'll rate them and decide which is the best, because it's always, it's always fun to do that. Uh, but first, as I mentioned, Samaritan's Purse is a charitable organization uh, that has been essentially run out of New York City after opening a volunteer field hospital to care for COVID-19 patients. Their operation in the city was coming to an end soon in any case, as the outbreak is increasingly um, brought under control in New York. But local media reports that uh, controversy over the group's religious views contributed to the decision to shut it down earlier than expected. Now, to be absolutely clear about this, the controversy is that Samaritan's Purse is Christian. That's the controversy. And radical LGBT activists hate Christians. It really is as simple as that. Um, now, it should go without saying that Samaritan's Purse never discriminated against any patients. Okay, so this is not a controversy that stems from anything that Samaritan's Purse did. It volunteered to help and serve anybody, no matter their sexual orientation or their race or creed or, or anything else. And that's exactly what they did. But extremist gay groups like, uh, like the group Reclaim Pride Coalition in New York rallied to have the volunteers chased out of town and are now celebrating the closing of a field hospital during a pandemic as a, quote, victory of the LGBT community and other oppressed groups. That's a quote from one of the people from the organization. Um, a member of the coalition uh, attacked New York City for, quote, bringing a huge dangerous bigot into our midst, midst, which, you know, I think is maybe an overly hostile way of describing a field hospital. A, a, a huge dangerous bigot is, is the way it was described. But of course, overly hostile is, is the name of the game where LGBT activists are concerned. Um, another example of that, a video posted by Reclaim Pride a few days ago features a drag queen named Marty Cummings ranting that Samaritan's Purse is a, quote, bigoted, anti-Muslim, anti-LGBTQ institution that has, quote, instilled bigoted beliefs into the world, whatever that means. Inst I don't know how you instill beliefs, but uh, in fact, let's, um, now, that, now that I mention it, let's watch this video of uh, Marty Cummings, the drag queen, talking about uh, healthcare volunteers. Watch this. Hi, I'm Marty Gold Cummings, and I'm calling upon Dr. Kenneth Davis and Dr. David Reich, the CEO and president of Mount Sinai, one of the foremost medical institutions in our country. I'm calling upon them to amend the relationship that they have with Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse is a bigoted, anti-Muslim, anti-LGBTQ institution run by Franklin Graham. It's an organization that has used its platform to instill bigoted beliefs into the world. It is shameful that this organization is using a crisis as an excuse to peddle their anti-Muslim and anti-LGBTQ agenda. I am calling upon Mount Sinai to require that if their relationship with Samaritan's Purse continues, that Samaritan's Purse stops the practice of making volunteers sign a pledge saying that they will have a statement of faith, a statement of faith saying that they, 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 they do not believe in, 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 in the LGBTQ lifestyle. It is homophobic and transphobic and it is wrong. And this organization is about to expand from 68 beds to hundreds of beds in the city. I urge you and demand you to require Samaritan's Purse to drop this part of their agenda immediately. Now, there is, of course, no doubt that a man who provides the essential service of dancing in women's clothes 
is in a good position to criticize volunteer healthcare workers. Uh, no doubt about that. But even so, I have to wonder why Cummings, if he cares so much for LGBTQ people and Muslims, um, why he's calling for the banishment of an organization that serves LGBTQ people and Muslims, among others. Also, speaking of Muslims, I'd like to know if Cummings has ever spoken out against any Muslim group for their bigoted, quote-unquote, views about the LGBT community. Um, if it was a Muslim charitable organization serving the sick in New York, it's not. It's Christian. But if it was Muslim, would Cummings be making these same criticisms? Or would he, in fact, be attacking anyone who says exactly what he is saying about Samaritan's Purse? Everything he's saying about Samaritan's Purse if, if someone else were to say that about a Muslim group, he'd be calling them, not the Muslim group, but the person saying it, a bigot. And we all know that. Uh, we'll talk more about this in just a second. But first, a word from LifeLock. You know, I know people who are very well prepared for every eventuality that life might throw at them. And especially in these recent months, uh, it's been very good to be that sort of person, right? I am not that sort of person, but I'd like to be. And that's why um, I have LifeLock. Uh, you know, if you, you think about those people that if you have a cut, they've got a Band-Aid. If you need a battery, they've always got multiple sizes on hand. But if they're worried about identity theft and only monitoring their credit, they may not be as prepared as they think they are. Breaches seem like they're happening more and more these days. And with your breach information, like your social security number um, and other things as well, criminals can commit identity theft. And that's why LifeLock sees more threats, like someone taking out a payday loan in your name, the kind of thing that you might not be able to detect on your own, and they alert you to possible suspicious activity. And if you do end up having, God forbid, a um, an issue with identity theft, then they've got dedicated identity restoration specialists just a phone call away. Look, no one can prevent all identity theft all the time, but with breaches on the rise, it does make sense to be prepared, doesn't it? So join LifeLock today and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Walsh. That's LifeLock.com slash Walsh to save 25% off. Um, okay. So back to Samaritan's Purse and uh, you know, Reclaim Pride and guys like this drag queen here attacking Christians. Now, they would never do this with any other religious group, especially a Muslim group. And I, I, would, I would say the same thing of, for example, um, New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, who excoriated the Christian group in a lengthy Twitter tirade, um, claiming that Samaritan's Purse is, quote, an affront to our values of inclusion and is painful for all New Yorkers. He, he's describing it as painful and an affront to our values, for Christians to help sick people. That's what he's talking about here. Johnson said that Samaritan's Purse, uh, the founder of Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham, is notoriously bigoted and hate spewing. And uh, he said that Samaritan's Purse, quote, came at a time when our city couldn't in good conscience turn away any offer to help. I think we should pause here for a moment and appreciate the just awe-inspiring pettiness of this accusation. Because it's not very often that a person is accused of nefariously taking advantage of a crisis in order to provide kindness and charity. That's what he's saying. He's saying these, these dastardly evildoers came here and uh, they offered their help and their kindness at a time when we couldn't turn them away. Okay, so what's the problem exactly? Now, Johnson, along with many other critics of the organization, such as uh, Cummings, like you heard, they also take... It, uh, take issue with the statement of faith that all volunteers of Samaritan's Purse are required to sign. But contrary to how this statement is characterized by LGBT activists, there is nothing bigoted about it. Okay, now this is a, a long statement. It's not, it's not just about marriage and sexuality. There's, 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 I think there's like 11 or 12 points um, of Christian doctrine that volunteers are asked to affirm. Only one of them touches on the issue of marriage and sexuality. But here's what that, that relevant portion, portion says. It says, um, We believe God's plan for human sexuality is to be expressed only within the context of marriage. That God created man and woman as unique biological persons made to complete each other. God instituted monogamous marriage between male and female as the foundation of the family and the basic structure of human society. For this reason, we believe that marriage is exclusively the union of one genetic male and one genetic female. This is a basic Christian tenet. Um, it does not 
require or even imply bigotry towards anyone. And to me, it seems a rather reasonable thing for a Christian organization in order to preserve its identity as a Christian organization to ensure that its members are in fact Christian by having them sign a statement like this. Now, what would be unreasonable and truly bigoted if, is if patients who came there sick and were in need of help were made to sign a statement pledging their fealty and obedience to Christian doctrine before receiving the treatment they need. If that's what Samaritan's Purse was doing, then I would agree that we've got a huge problem here. But that's not what they do. They serve everybody. So what's the, what's the lesson here? The real lesson is one that we've learned many times over by now. Left-wing gay activists are so often bullies who wish to impose their priorities and their viewpoints on everybody else. In every situation, no matter the context, these are people of such narrow minds and such prejudicial dispositions that they would actually hail the shuttering of a Christian field hospital during a pandemic as a victory for their cause. And it is a victory for their cause if their cause is to be so unsympathetic and so unlikable that even people who disagree with the Christian teaching on human sexuality are tempted to defend it just to spite them. Gay activists always claim that uh, they just want to be left alone to live their own life, make their own choices. But, you know, that's exactly what they won't allow anyone else to do. It turns out that, you know, they don't just want their choices to be tolerated or uh, allowed. They want their choices to be affirmed. And as far as they're concerned, it's our job, the rest of society, it's our job to provide that affirmation to them all the time, constantly, even during a pandemic. During a pandemic, our primary duty is still, as far as they're concerned, to provide affirmation, to be affirmation providers to the radical LGBT left. Now, Samaritan's Purse, on the other hand, if you, if you compare uh, their approach, they were just trying to help people. And if there was any attempt to evangelize, which there's, there's no doubt that Samaritan's Purse, um, one of their great goals is to spread the gospel. Okay? Guilty as charged, I'm sure. I'm sure they would admit that. But they aren't doing it through bigotry. They aren't doing it through imposing themselves on anyone. They aren't doing it by, you know, as like I said, requiring that patients uh, be baptized in order to receive treatment. Like, that's not how they're doing it. If they're evangelizing it, they're doing it by deed and example. They're setting a good example, and then they're hoping that people will see this and, and ask themselves, well, why are these people doing this? Why are they serving? Why are they? And then they'll get a chance at that point to talk about the gospel. Um, maybe gay activists should try a similar strategy, because right now they're doing the opposite. Maybe rather than going around screaming, and crying and accusing everyone of being a bigot, even as you yourself are a bigot, maybe rather than trying to shut down field hospitals, maybe rather than trying to make everything about yourself all the time, maybe rather than trying to shove your sexuality in everybody's face while you claim that's not what you're doing, but that's exactly what you're doing, um, rather than doing that, maybe just like be good people and go out and help people. Uh, you know, uh, why aren't you out there volunteering if you're trying to shut down other volunteers? and lead by example. And then when someone sees your great example and they talk to you and they ask, why are you doing this? Why are you being so kind? Then you'll get a chance to open up and talk about your worldview and what deeply motivates you. How about that for, a, for, a, for an idea? But don't let me stop you if you're a, you know, a radical leftist LGBT activist because what you're doing right now is your strategy right now is completely undermining everything you want. You know, it's good for the people who oppose you. Because, like I said, even, even people who are inclined to agree with you cannot stand you with this kind of thing. How could they? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? What, do you really think people are going to rally to your, to your cause and to your position and find you sympathetic 
when you are protesting field hospitals? My God. All right. Um, let's move on to news headlines. But before we do, this is a very important thing I have to tell you about, is uh, one of my favorite sponsors. They're all my favorite sponsors, Rad Power Bikes. And uh, in fact, speaking of our sponsors, I did, I did want to say before I, before I move on to that, that uh, just a thank you to all of our sponsors who have been supporting the show during this, um, during this very difficult time. Thank you to all of you who watch the show and support it, not just this show, but all of the Daily Wire shows and the Daily Wire generally. Um, we just, uh, we're incredibly grateful for the fact that uh, you're keeping us afloat. So wanted to thank you for that. And um, Rad Power Bikes. Now, I think electric bikes, great ways, a great way to get out, um, especially since we've had to spend so much time indoors. And, but there's no reason, there's no reason to be, to be cooped up indoors. Even if you can't go to some of the normal places you normally go, you can still go outside and rad power bikes, just a fun and convenient way to get around. And, uh, and you know, whether you need a new way to commute or to just get around the city, or if you want to get out in nature, just for the fun of it, you've got to try rad power bikes. It's a cross between a traditional bike and a moped, but it doesn't require a special driver's license like a moped would. You can go up to 20 miles per hour without pedaling. So you can get out and about without getting sweaty. Um, they're great for commuting, going out on the trail, joyriding, whatever you want to do. Unlike other e-bikes, they're actually affordable. Plus, to show appreciation for those that serve us, Rad Power Bikes is offering $100 off, to, off of all e-bike purchases for active slash ex-military first responders, teachers, and students. Do you know someone who loves being active outdoors? Tell them about Rad Power Bikes. Rad Power Bikes offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR, and right now, as a limited time offer, get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. That's right. Get a free gift of up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48 states. To get this special offer, text the word BIKE to 64000. That's BIKE to 64000. Text BIKE, P-B-I-K-E, to 64000. All right. Um, going to news, first of all, number one. Headline, Daily Wire, uh, it says more than 40% of small businesses may close in the next six months. Reading from the article a little bit, it says, in addition to record unemployment numbers, experts now predict that a wave of small business bankruptcies is on the horizon and it could leave the United States with 40% fewer small businesses. The New York Times reports that the United States Chambers of Commerce estimates more than 40% of the nation's 30 million small businesses could close permanently in the next six months, a statistic entirely attributable to the coronavirus pandemic and ensuing lockdowns. Now, when you read something like this, um, it, it this should be headline news everywhere. I mean, this this should be the main thing we're talking about right now. Forty percent of small small businesses going under is an absolute catastrophe, and the economy doesn't simply bounce back from that like it never happened. Uh, you, you can't lose forty percent of your small businesses and continue along like nothing happened. It doesn't work that way. And it's important to remember that you know, a lot of these big corporations are doing perfectly well through all of this. They're doing even better, some of them. You know, the Walmarts of the world, they're 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 even hiring workers right now, which is good that they're hiring, but because they get to be open. And um, what's what's happened in so many cases is that all the small businesses, the small businesses that were already struggling to compete with these big box stores, they've been shut down while the big, powerful uh, retailers get to stay open. And now all of those customers who used to go to the small businesses, now they're all being forced to go to the big box stores. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I don't think that this is a, this is a coincidence that it just so happens that the big, powerful corporations with all this money and influence, they get to stay open while the businesses that don't have that influence have to shut um, I think it's just a, an absolute outrage. Number two, New York Times reports a new book in the Twilight series titled Midnight Sun will be told from the perspective of Edward Cullen. So a new Twilight is coming out. And all I can say about that is that it proves without a shadow of a doubt that God's wrath has truly come upon us. Um, epidemic, murder hornet, hornets, now Twilight. Re re repent ye sinners, okay? This is, this is truly... This is truly the apocalypse. Number three, CNN reports, Joe Biden says his vice presidential committee is looking at more than a dozen women. That's a direct quote. 
his vice presidential committee is looking at more than a dozen women. And I know what you're thinking when you hear that. If he's just looking, that's at least a little progress. And I agree. So it's good to see this kind of personal growth from the Democratic nominee. Number four, police officers in New York were attempting to make a social distancing arrest a few days ago, and things went sideways, and it was caught on video, as it so often is when things go sideways in these situations. Um, Before I I play it, a little bit of context. So apparently, according to the police commissioner, two people were on the sidewalk in New York um, talking. One was sitting on a milk crate, and another was standing there, and they were, I don't know, having a conversation. Police approached and uh, 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 approached them because they were violating social distancing. And then supposedly it's also added that they noticed marijuana that one of them had on them. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's being reported at a, as a social distancing arrest. Then the reports also mention that, oh, yeah, the cops said there was marijuana. So which is it? Was it a, was it a drug arrest or was it social distancing? Um, or did they were they arresting them for the social distancing thing, and then they found the marijuana in the process? I don't know. So, but that's what leads up to this moment right here. Okay, a lot of additional context is needed here. Obviously, we don't we don't know everything we need to know, um, and we do know that you can't always take these videos at face value, so that's true. But with that said, a few things I think can be stated with a, a degree of confidence. First of all, slapping a guy in the face repeatedly is not necessary. Those those open hand slaps. You're not you're not going to subdue someone that way. It, it seems to me just a matter of human psychology. All you're going to do is piss somebody off doing that. So that, that, that can't possibly be a legitimate tactic for police to use when arresting someone. There's no way that, that's, that that actually helps in the in the in the effort of arresting them. The only reason you slap a guy in the face is if you're mad. It's the same reason anybody else would do it. So that cop was mad. It was very clear in the video. He was ticked off. And uh, he was taking it out on the other guy. But call me a libertarian, I guess, because I have to take the rather radical position that cops don't have the right to physically take their frustrations out on the population. They have as much a right to slap somebody in anger as I do, and I have no right to do that, so neither do they. Um, now, you could say the other guy should have backed off, he should have complied, whatever, fine. That doesn't mean that the cops can just kick your butt because they feel like it, because they're they're mad. Um and if, if they're arresting you, I mean, the idea, and you see these in the video sometimes where they're arresting someone and they'll just, they'll just get a few shots in just for the sake of it while they're arresting somebody. How is that acceptable? Um, second, whether the arrest of that guy was justified or not, I'll tell you right now that these kinds of incidents and these kinds of videos uh, tied one way or another to social distancing enforcement is how you get a complete breakdown of the whole social distancing scheme. Uh, It's how you get riots and chaos. So if you want riots, this is how you get them, just like this, with videos of cops beating the hell out of citizens in an effort to enforce social distancing. It doesn't matter that more context is needed. It doesn't matter if there's more to the story. When people start to get the impression that they are in a that they are living in a violent police state, where if they you know don't keep a proper distance from someone else, they can get their asses kicked by the cops. That's when the backlash really starts. I mean, these protests we've seen are nothing in comparison to what you get when 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 you have mass amounts of people who start to believe that they're in a police state. And the thing is, we are in a police state. 
This is just a dramatic illustration of that fact. Five, finally, just to give you yet another, another thing to worry about, um, monkeys on motorcycles are now patrolling the streets trying to kidnap our children. Watch this. I just have so many questions about this, but I want to focus on on just one right now, um, and that is, why is everybody else so lackadaisical in their response to what's happening? A monkey rode up on a miniature motorcycle and dragged away a child. Why is there not more of a freakout over this event? You see the woman on the bench, she I assume that's her kid. She's just watching it happen. Like this is some kind of everyday occurrence. She doesn't even get up. You see that she sits there and watches the kid get dragged away by a monkey. The guy on the balcony is shouting at the monkey, but not with anything near the sort of urgency and surprise that you might expect. And the other guy comes walking in casually after the monkey already ditched the child. The guy, the guy comes walking in, not, 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 not very you know, upset, just sort of like, hey, monkey, come on. Come on, what are you doing? Enough with the kidnapping, all right? Sheesh. But then I think, I'm actually sort of envious uh, that these people are apparently living the kind of life where a kidnapping monkey on a motorcycle isn't all that interesting. Can you imagine living a life where that doesn't interest you? That, that's not even anything to like talk about. You go to dinner, you sit down at dinner later, and you don't even bring it up what you saw because it's, it's, it's such a normal occurrence. That seems like an exciting life. I'm wondering what would it take to rate a surprised reaction from the people in that video. Would they need like a, a machine gun wielding flamingo on a pogo stick? Robbing a bank? Would that would that do it? I don't know. But I, I for one, am flabbergasted. That's the only word that would describe what we just watched. Flabbergasting. Uh, now, let's move on to your daily cancellation. But before we do, very important that I tell you that our amazing deal is going away today. When you become a Daily Wire Insider Plus or All Access member, you get not one, but two of the highly coveted leftist tears tumblers. We've been telling you about this for days, okay, over and over again. If you haven't gotten the hint by now, I don't know what you're doing with your life. This is your last chance. If you do not take advantage of this moment, you will regret it for the rest of your life. You will live your life in despair. You will say to yourself, what is the point of going on anymore? that I had a chance to get a two-for-one leftist tears tumbler deal, and I didn't take it, because you're never getting this chance again. I'll tell you that right now. I will see to it. Daily Wire members get many other amazing benefits as well. Uh, you get an ad-free website experience, access to all of our live broadcasts, the show library, full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show. Um, you can uh, get to participate in all the all-access live shows, which, uh, by the way, I'll be doing that tonight at 8. I thought I was going to do it last night, but it's tonight actually, 8 p.m. And this deal, again, is going away today. So remember, that's two leftist tiers tumblers when you become a Daily Wire Insider Plus or All Access member and get 10% off with coupon code Walsh. Just head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Coupon code Walsh. Okay, now for your daily cancellation. Um, today we're canceling whiny parents who don't like being around their own children. We talked about this briefly a few days ago. Somebody wrote into the show and, and brought up this issue of um, parents complaining about being around their kids during quarantine. And I said at the time that, yes, I, uh, being under house arrest with young children is stressful. It is, and challenging. No doubt, doubt about that. I'm under house arrest with uh, four kids, six and under. It's a stressful time, you know, it, it, but everybody's stressed out. So there's, there's nothing unique about that. And it is true that some parents have certainly gone way overboard in their complaints, as evidenced by this New York Post story. Headline, can parents survive months of hell as the coronavirus cancels summer camps? Hell. Yes, months of hell. It is hell to be with your own child. 
who you birthed and raised. Hell. Um, now let's read a little bit from this. It says, going down in the article a bit, it says, as camp programs around the country pull the plug to stop the spread of COVID-19, it's the grown-ups who are in a pandemic panic over the loss of a summer break. Parents pay thousands of dollars for these annual weeks of kid-free bliss and maybe even some sexy adult adventures. I don't know why we had to add that in there, but we did. Now folks face surviving summer trapped with their stir-crazy kids after an already chaotic month of homeschooling and quarantine. Um, Forest Hills mom Deborah Davis Hurwitz says, I almost cried. It's a bad blow. Her 11-year-old Jordan was all set for his sleepaway camp at Massachusetts Six Points SciTech Academy, which runs uh, you know, about $3,500 to almost $5,000 per session, until bombshell bad news dropped on Thursday. It's going to be bedlam, especially for us parents in the city, Hurwitz says of the closure. He took it better than me because I'm going to be stuck with him. Uh, Debbie, this is your child you're talking about. You're saying this publicly. He's 11 years old. He can read, I assume. So he can. He knows that you said this. You're going to be stuck with him and you're dreading it. Amanda Goldberg says, I'm 100% in panic mode. Her son, 12 years old, Justin, was set to attend the exclusive $14,000 um, Explo Overnight Summer Program for the third straight year. The idea that both kids will be home with no town pools, no beaches open. What will we do? How will we make it through the day? Two kids. Okay, you got two kids. One of them is 12, which is no big deal. I've got four kids. Again, six and under. We don't have pools. We don't have beaches. Suck it up, buttercup. While the 43-year-old from Mount uh, Kisco in Westchester already got the, her, her jaw-dropping deposit back for the six-week program, the mom of two and full-time real estate agent is stumped about how to entertain her little darlings all summer long. It seems like a first-world problem, but these kids have been home since March. Yes, I, I, you got it right there. It is, uh, it's a first-world problem. Um, uh, let's see. Parents like Brett, who also has a 10-year-old son, Zach, are scrambling to come up with contingency plans that will both keep him and his parents and his kids sane this summer. So far, they've only come up with gulp an old-school sleepover with friends if it's safe. Brett says, the important thing is camp is not a place. It's an emotion, a feeling, a value. And that can't ever be taken away. You can't cancel that. Okay. First of all, I don't know where to begin. Brett, camp isn't a place. It's an emotion of what? A value? What the hell? What are you babbling about? How is summer camp a, a value? What's your value system? Um, summer camp? That's my value system. That basically sums it up. You get what I'm saying, don't you? What the hell? Can... Oh, man. Can you imagine your dad saying this? I cannot imagine my dad. I can't imagine my dad th that sentence coming out of his mouth. Camp isn't a place. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a value. And then all the rest of them. Um, you know, get over yourselves, you ridiculous babies. God forbid you have to spend some time with your kids. I mean, think about these parents, what it's normally like for them under normal circumstances. The kid spends nine months at school. Uh, so, and for these parents, I'm sure it's private school, not public. But either way, under normal circumstances, they're at school all day, nine months. And then summer rolls around and you immediately ship them away to, to sleep to sleepaway camp. Like, do you not want to be around your kid at all? Do you dislike your children that much? Why did you even have kids if you have no interest in ever being around them? Also, keep in mind that um, a lot of these rich families have nannies too. So they've got school during the week, nannies and babysitters for the weekend, um, camp in the summer. Their goal is just to never, ever, ever spend one second alone with their child. And that's why it's hell for them right now. That's why it's hell. It's for the rest of us. It's stressful. It's difficult, right? It's there. There are aspects of it 
when your kid is trapped inside. Now, as I said, we've got a yard, so our kids can play outside at least, but uh, they can't be with their friends and all this stuff. It's tough on the kids too. But I wouldn't call it hell. It's hell for these people because this is the first time in their lives that they've been forced to actually be parents. Yeah, you got you got a, a whoever the Deborah or Amanda, they've they've got a twelve year old kid. This is a they've had kids for twelve years. First time in twelve years that they've actually had to be a parent, and that's why it's hell. They uh, they just they don't know. They're like starting from scratch. You know, it's for them. It's like the experience of a of most parents when you've got a newborn, your first newborn, and it, it's this huge adjustment because you went from having no kids to having kids. And for some of these parents. Uh, these rich yuppie parents who send their kids to sleepaway camps and private schools, for them, this is like being a, a parent of a newborn again. Like, it's like you're experiencing parenthood for real for the first time, and they're having difficulty with it. Okay, um, moving on. In lieu of emails today, I wanted to do something more important. Uh, I read an article from the AP yesterday about all these bands and artists who are um, putting out coronavirus songs. And... Uh, I think it's great that uh, you know coronavirus has now become its own genre of music, and I hope that that continues even when the coronavirus goes away, whenever that happens, if it ever does. But the important question is, out of all these coronavirus songs, which one is the best? So I'd like to go through some of these songs that the AP mentions, and then a few others that I found on a random YouTube search um, to find the absolute best, the champion. What is what is the the, the quintessential coronavirus song? That will stand as the anthem for these times that we're living in. Okay, first, here's a John Bon Jovi looking like Richard Gere's great uncle, even though I'm pretty sure Bon Jovi is younger, I think. But here is um, his song that's called Do What You Can. Watch. They're shutting down the borders And they boarded up the schools Small towns are rolling up the sidewalks One less paycheck's coming through I know you're feeling kind of nervous We're all a little bit confused Nothing's the same, this ain't a game We gotta make it through When you can do what you do You do what you can this ain't my prayer, it's just a thought I'm wanting to send Round here we bend, but don't break Down here we all understand You can't do what you do You do what you can Alright, see, I'm, I'm always a sucker for a song where it's just an old guy with a limited vocal range strumming a, an acoustic guitar, singing about the troubles in the world I pretty much will love any song like that It doesn't matter, I, I like all those songs without exception and this is no exception. Um, I, I, I do like it. I, I feel like Bon Jovi probably needs to work on the hook a little bit. When you when you can't do what you do, you do what you can. But what I do is what I can. So how can I do what I can if I can't do what I do? It's not like I do what I can't. I can't. I can't do what I can because I can't. So I only ever do what I can. So doing what I can is synonymous with doing what I do. So if I'm not doing what I do, I'm not doing what I can. You see? I, I, the, the chorus raises all kinds of philosophical and ontological questions, which maybe is the point of it, the more I think about it. Um, so yes, I like this one. The philosophical bent to it is interesting. I'll give it three and a half stars out of five. Now here's the artist Pitbull with a song called I Believe That We Will Win. Parentheses, world anthem. So he's setting the bar pretty high here. He's saying this is a world anthem. Let's see if Pitbull can pull it off. Here it is. You know what spreads faster than any virus? It's fear. Now when it comes to fear, you can either forget everything and run. I say Or you can face everything and rise. I believe. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe we will face everything. I believe we will
Okay, just stop. Stop it right there. Stop right there because I can't. Um, I can't do this. I'm gonna have a seizure first of all from the video for one thing. For another, how many cliches can you pack into 50 seconds? He just front loaded this song with every cliche known to man. This is the laziest song I've ever heard in my life. This makes, I mean, this makes a, like, a, like an Ariana Grande song sound innovative and creative by comparison. I believe that we will win. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. What, don't, what, do, what doesn't kill us, it will make us stronger. You really put all of that into the first verse. It's just, it's just a, a parade of cliches. And none of that is true, by the way, as it pertains to a virus. The virus definitely will not make you stronger necessarily if you get it. Now you could get a, you know, it's maybe you'll um, you get a, a bit of a immunity from it, but at the same time, it can cause lung damage permanently. So there's no guarantee at all that it's going to make you stronger. And I would also say that from the government seizing all of our civil liberties, we are not stronger as a country after this. We have less liberty, fewer rights. So it's not even true. Um, so I don't know. This guy's a millionaire musical artist, one of the most successful in the world, and this is the kind of songwriting talent he has. I, I could have written this song when I was seven years old. I give this negative 15 stars out of five, and may God have mercy on Pitbull's soul. All right, here's uh, the band 21 Pilots with a song called Level of Concern. Sounds interesting. Let's listen to it. Okay, see again, I, I'm, I, I'm listening to the songwriting and I, I'm just not impressed with the songwriting at all. Would you be my little quarantine? I don't know what that means. I don't, under, I don't understand what that means. This is a big moment for musicians all around the world. Okay, they should be making classics, distilling how we feel, putting it into song, lighting the path, but they're failing us. They're failing. Pitbull, 21 Pilots, you have failed us. Zero out of five stars. Disgraceful. Let's go to a guy named Tom McDonald with a song called Coronavirus. Not a lot of creativity put into the title, so we're not off on a good foot here. But um, Tom McDonald, I've never heard of this guy. Sounds like this is another old guy with an acoustic guitar. So I'm excited about that. Uh, let's see. about this virus okay just pause it there for a minute scratch that not an old guy with an acoustic guitar turns out this instead is a guy who has very much committed himself to being a rapper because that's the only career path you can choose with all the face tats well that's not true you could be a rapper you could be a tattoo artist you could be um member of a biker gang or any gang really probably a youth pastor Maybe all four of those at once. So he's, he's got some options. He's got some options. Um, let's go back to the song. I don't know what to think about this virus. Started in China, now everybody in America's hiding. There's no groceries because people start to panic and buy it. The shelves are empty. The ones with plenty already stockpiling. Y'all making memes. Think it's funny? Wait a week till the riots. Wait a month till the only way to eat is be violent. It's not the sickness is scary. It's all the people who while in the government lying. They trying to keep us calm through the sirens. You know it's for real. And all the pharmaceutical giants don't have a cure that they can sell you. So now everyone's dying. There's no vaccines or medication made that can fight it. I guess it's time to pray to God we can't rely on the science. And never 
everyone around me in a mask and some gloves. The stock market crashed and the bank's about to bust. Tell us sanitize our hands, this will pass. It's a bug, stay inside, you'll be fine till we're trapped there for months. It's a ghost town, we're in this together. They're closing all the stores down, we're heading for shelter. It's all war now, they'll always remember. We're locking out our doors down, we're sticking together. Okay, we, we could stop it there. And I, funny enough, um, I was actually thinking about getting the same piercing that he has on the lip right here. So I, I like that. But you know what? I do like, I, I appreciate the fact he's he's actually trying to say something. He has something to say. He's a message to send. You can tell he put, put some thought into this. Whereas Pitbull scratched his song on the back of a, on the back of a, of a napkin in, in 15 and a half seconds. Um, he put a little bit of thought into this. So I'll give this four out of five. I'll give this four out of five stars. Okay. That's a high rating from me. Couple more. This is Benjamin Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie with a song called Life in Quarantine. Let's take a listen. The sidewalks are empty, the bars and cafes too. Street lights only changing Cause they ain't got nothing better to do You say it's like Christmas When nobody's around When our city was still a secret Before those carpetbaggers came to town the airports and train stations are full of desperate people Trying to convince the gate agents that not all emergencies are equal But no one is going anywhere soon So this is kind of putting me to sleep. I'm, I'm bored a little bit. I like it at the same time. I like it, but I'm bored to death. Because again, you know, it is a guy with an acoustic guitar singing about the troubles in the world. So I like that. I'll give it um, 3.7 and a half stars out of five. Finally, let's wrap this up with, um, pun intended, with my personal favorite artist, Lil TJ. Uh, I've been a huge Lil TJ for, I don't know, going on 10 years now. And uh, here he is with a song called Ice Cold. This word is so ice. This word is so cold. This word is ice cold. This word is ice cold. We're so ice, we're so cold. Bro, ice cold. Ice cold. Bro, ice cold. I swear I got plenty nights. Never coming home. Demons in my head. I got too many gone. Head down, head dying. I'm a hurt, crying. I ain't even think I see 18 and I ain't lying. Jail's multiplying. Change that I'm trying. Murder rate just keep on going up. It's horrifying. Okay, wait, let's just stop it there for a second. Because I, I love how the guy is stuck in his own house in quarantine, throwing dollar bills around. Did you catch that? I, you know, I, I guess this is, this is what rappers do when they're home alone. The guy's just walking through his house, chucking dollar bills on the floor. For, for what reason? I don't know. But I guess if you're rich and you're a rapper, this is what you do. Um, let's watch a little bit more because I'm liking this. I'm, I'm vibing to it, as the kids would say. This is dead ass, bro. Uh, check it out. Pack of the change. Honestly, don't think it's ever gonna change. Looking from my new perspective, I done realize some things. I'm street's bad. She's wicked. She's bad. She's wicked. If the right shot hits you, that's a one-way ticket. Something new, work a couple times, better fix it. I've been to myself, I've been just stacking up my digits. All I could do is preach and I hope you so I gotta spread the love.
And he's, he's still throwing money around. This is the first time in my life I've ever seen somebody flaunting $100 bills by themselves in despair. So he's doing it. He's by himself. He's doing it in a depressed way. He's very sad, but he's showing off his money in a sad way. Um, and I, I, you know what? I find that deeply profound. See, what I take from this is that Lil TJ is basically saying that all of his material wealth seems as a vanity, as but dust, when he reflects upon his own mortality and the fragility of his existence and indeed the, the tenuousness of his existence and of all human civilization. This is a song with him crying out in profound pain and angst, shouting to God and saying, why, Lord, have you put us here in the midst of great suffering only to rip us away again? Why, Lord, have you thrown us into this life which at one moment is so lit, so extra, so turnt, so dope, so fire, and then in the next instance is literally dead ass in the sense that my ass is dead along with the rest of me. And it raises some interesting questions, uh, which I have found that Lil TJ always does with his music. I'll give it five out of five stars because it spoke to me on that level. I think Lil TJ is the artist of our generation. He is the poet who, through his insight, can lead us through these times. And in the future, when anthropologists want to know what it was like when the great pandemic of 2020 hit, they're going to watch Lil TJ's song, and they're going to see that that's what it was like. It was a bunch of people in their homes throwing money around. Certainly, that's been my experience as well. And uh, I think we'll leave it there. So that was that was fun. You know, some 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 good songs, some not so good songs. But I like that uh, they're all trying and that, you know, they're they're putting this to music. And it's uh, it's good. It's the effort that counts. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.